This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Asked us to talk about family, and, and this was a very interesting. I thought, oh, that's easy. We're going to talk about family, but um, you know, I, the more I thought about it, the more I worked on it, the more I actually got stumped. Because in many ways to us, this is an easy topic, but it's such a big topic. It's huge, and it's so far-reaching. And, and you guys know there, there's nothing more important in our lives than our families, hopefully. Hopefully it's the most important thing. Hopefully that's something we all have in common. Uh, hopefully family is number one. Um, this topic is very close to us. Some of you know that last Sunday was our 18th anniversary. We spent it in airports. <laughs> yes. But what was before that was incredible, so yeah. it was worth the We airport. had a nice time last week <laughs> in the Dominican Republic, and, and uh, we did fly back last Sunday. But, um, but last Sunday was our 18th anniversary, and, and you know, part, part of what made this whole topic difficult was I understand how different everyone is, how different am- everyone's family situation is. And honestly, most of you know us pretty well, and we've never been on the brink of divorce. We've never cussed each other out or hit each other, knocked each other down. We've, we've never been in that place. And, you know, unlike many of the guys that I may spend my time with, there's nobody I'd rather spend time with than my wife. And so I can't relate sometimes to guys who don't want to go home after work. But it surprises me how many men that actually is. They just have no desire to go home. They want to go hang out with the buddies. And I, I've, I've never been there. And, you know, we've worked hard over the years to raise our kids in the ways of the Lord. And they're far from perfect because they come from us. (laughs) This is true. (laughs) But our kids are following the Lord. And so, you know, with that said, we're coming from the aspect of a family who's tried really hard and worked really hard to make godly decisions. And we've seen the hand of God in our, life, in our lives. And we've seen what God does when we put him first. And, you know, some people would say, well, you can't possibly understand my situation because you haven't walked in my shoes and you haven't been through what I've been through. I, I'm sorry, but I believe that's nonsense. I don't want my children to have to walk through things that other people walk through before they can minister to them. That'd be like saying Jesus couldn't minister to a drug addict because he was never a drug addict himself. But I guarantee you, if he was walking the earth today, he would be speaking into the life of a drug addict. He spoke into prostitutes and adulterers and murderers and liars, and he never did any of it. Why? Because he had God's word. And that's what it's all based on. If we do things according to God's word, we'll walk in blessing, we'll walk in life, right? And so I was just thinking about this. After 18 years of marriage, three kids, two teenagers... (laughs) One hyper little boy. Very hyper little boy. Ups and downs, highs and lows, successes and failures. Last year, y'all know we dealt with the death of a parent. Being youth pastors for years, seeing the good and bad and ugly in other families. Seriously, you learn a lot as a youth pastor. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever noticed that many times pastors' kids are just hellions? But youth pastors' kids are usually pretty good. <laughs> I think youth pastors look and they see how not to do things, <laughs> and they raise their children according to that. Anyway, 
But as youth pastors and then, you know, giving lots of counseling sessions and different things, I believe that after all this, we do have a lot to say about family. And as I said again, understand my disclaimer again, because those kind of comments can offend people. But understand that, that we are absolutely far from perfect. And, you know, we've learned a lot along the way. And, uh, but we do consider our family to be our greatest success. And um, over the next few weeks, we are going to talk about some of the things we've learned over the years. But as I said, this is a difficult topic. It's difficult to stand in front of a church and talk about it because we come from so many different backgrounds. So, you know, we have people here that are from, you know, that have a traditional marriage, traditional family. We have some of those that are in their first marriage or second marriage, some that are divorced, uh, some that are single, some, you know, that have never been married at all. We have blended families. Um, we have some of you out there who have already raised your kids. Some of you are raising your grandkids. Some of you um, may have adopted children. Some of you may even be living with a significant other that you're not married to. So it's a very different, very vast topic. When we say family, it's a totally different idea that pops into each of our different minds. True? And a lot of that we base on the way we were raised and, of course, our experience through the years, you know, ourselves. So family is a huge topic, and we could spend years talking about this, but... So there's several things I want us to start out with that I want us to realize that we all have in common. So he's defined a bunch of the different families. There's a couple things that we have to establish first. And so the first thing that we have to realize is that you have no choice as to who your family will be. True? You can't change your mama. <laughs> you can't change your daddy. You can't wish you had a different grandparent. You can't wish you had a different grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, cousin, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Your family is your family, and you cannot change that. You are stuck with what you got. <laughs> Good or bad, you are stuck with it. And we all have that kind of person in our family that we wish we didn't have to claim as family, correct? <laughs> it, immediately, it immediately made me think of Cousin Eddie. Anybody remember Cousin Eddie? <laughs> So, you know, we all have, we're stuck with what we've got. Maybe we wish we were, didn't have to claim everybody, but we do, right? The second thing I want us to think about is, um, right here, is that we often think this. No one that I am related to is as smart as me. I know it all, and I know how I can fix every single person within my family. Okay, admit it, admit it. How many of you have been listening to all the blah, 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 and you're like, well, if they would just this, 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 and this, their life would just be perfect. All right. So we often approach family with that mindset. And so um, what we got to do is we know, we know our family members, and we also know, how many of you know that there is nobody that can bug you or set you off like a family member? <laughs> Yes, Lauren right here was like, yes, like this. I often tell of Lauren, she will babysit kids that, you know, or can sometimes be unruly or can just be all over the place. And she's just so kind and patient. It's okay, honey, let me help you. It's like they're doing flips off the couch. Her brother walks in the room, she's like, Rrr. you know, it's like there is no patience for him whatsoever. So, you know, our family members often um, can push our buttons. Um, they can drive us nuts like no one else in the world. Um, and so, you know, we're approaching family right here, and, um, you know, here's what I want you to realize as we're going into this. I think that every single family has a little bit of dysfunction in it, and I mean, you say normal. your family has dysfunction. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the point I would like to make in that. You know, there, there is dysfunction in every family, and somehow things happen and we think we're alone. But do you guys realize that there's not really a good biblical example of a family in the Bible? 
Think about it. It's true. So I just jotted down some examples. We got Adam and Eve. We have this place where they chose to sin. And in reality, I love the way John Eldridge put it. He said, man chose a woman over God. He said that his quote, one of the greatest issues of humanity was that Adam, man, chose woman over God, and men have been choosing women over God ever since. I was like, man. And we go on with their children, Cain and Abel. The very worst of mankind comes out in the very first family. Murder, anger, jealousy, all comes out in the very first family. Then we come to Abraham, who is called the father of our faith. Abraham, he... Uh, has sex with his servant Hagar to have a child instead of doing things God's way. And then their son Ishmael is jealous of Abraham and Sarah's son Isaac. And uh, they send Ishmael away. He and his mother constantly cause him problems. And then you got Isaac and Rebekah. They have Jacob and Esau. That didn't go so well, did it? <laughs> Jacob sells Esau's birthright. Esau wants to kill Jacob. Jacob runs for his life. Jacob wor uh, works, for his, works for his uncle for the next 20 years, the uncle who keeps cheating him he can't trust, Right? He finally goes back home, and Jacob has 12 sons. Ten of them want to kill their youngest brother. They <laughs> fake his death and sell him as a slave. I mean, any of y'all's families close to this? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe yours is looking pretty good compared to that. <laughs> David, only person in the Bible called a man after God's own heart, wrote all the Psalms. That brother was close to God, right? And he sees a woman bathing as he looks out the window. Yeah, I want her. Gets her pregnant. Oh, Lord. So he calls her husband off the front line. You know, I never realized that, um, uh, what's his name? Uriah, the Hittite. I never thought about him being a Hittite. I didn't realize that he wasn't a Jew. It, it never dawned on me. He chose to follow the God of Israel. But David calls Uriah back and thinks, well, if I can get him to sleep with his wife real quick, I'll be off the hook. But Uriah, not even a Jew, was of such honor, such integrity that he wouldn't do it. And so... David has to cover his sin again, and he does it by having Uriah killed, right? We do know also, though, that Solomon, uh, their next son, of course, the first son was born, stillborn, but the next son, Solomon, ends up being a great king and, and you know, of the line of David there all the way down to Jesus. Um, and then we had, you know, war breaks out between David and Absalom, right? Absalom stirs up a rebellion and tries to kill David. And even if we skip on ahead and go to Jesus... Well, first and foremost, what kind of parent leaves their son in a city by himself for three days? <laughs> if that happened today, oh. it would be on Action News 5. <laughs> and that family would be bad-mouthed, and there would be an investigation going on. But later on in his ministry, his brothers and sisters don't believe that he's the Messiah. They're questioning that, you know? It makes you wonder, and I actually had a thought today as I was getting ready, I thought about where, where did Joseph go? Nobody knows where Joseph went. We actually don't see him after this point where they leave him in Jerusalem and they go back and get him. And a lot of theologians believe, well, maybe Joseph died, you know, along the way. We don't see him later on. We don't see him at the cross. You know, Jesus actually tells John to take care of his mother. But I thought, I wonder in the family what happened if Joseph died. Imagine the brothers and sisters that were having a hard time believing their brother was the Messiah. And then all of a sudden their father dies. Oh, yeah, he's the Messiah the one that let our father die, the one who raises the dead, right? Can't you just imagine in the family dynamic those kind of things happening? There is dysfunction in every family. Amen? Amen. How many of you would agree that there is nothing in our life that can cause more stress, 
Disappointment and heartache in your life is a family relationship that's not working right. You know, whether we have a son or daughter that's not following Christ or um, a brother or sister that's making poor choices or a family member that is just being stupid, you know, it, it affects our everyday life because we love them, because we want what's best for them. And so there is nothing that causes more stress than poor choices in family unit not working the way that God wants it to. But at the same time, how do you know that nothing can bring more joy than when the family is working great? Yeah? I mean, how many times have you ever had that moment where, like, your child does something, you're like, oh, they're mine. You know, do you ever have those moments, like those proud moments, like, thank you, God. You know, but then the other times are those moments where, like, oh, excuse me, but your kid just did this. <laughs> you know? So we have the highs and the lows. But um, Well, nothing brings more joy than a family that's working the right way, but it's also, I think, security. Nothing brings us more security when, I mean, you know, if, if your family's ever been in a bad spot, and maybe your marriage is on the, rec, on, on the rocks or, or your kids are running off doing things, it just, it weighs on you. Everywhere you go, it weighs on you at work. It weighs on you in your friendships. It weighs on you in, in every aspect. And it makes it hard to function to your full potential. And so I think it, it brings security when you know that your family is solid. And no matter how bad things get at work or how bad a day I've got, I get to go home to my family. And that brings joy when things are working together the right way, right? So a couple things we need to realize is also that nothing is under attack more than the family today, whether that be from the enemy or whether it even just be, be from our society, from the culture that we have created. There is nothing in society that's setting up the family unit to work correctly. Well, and they've said that the divorce rate is actually dropping a little bit, but the reality is fewer people are getting married than ever before. People are just living together. So kind of offsets itself there, you know. <laughs> it, you know? So it's, it's just a shame that people don't see the value in marriage anymore. We're talking about the importance of family. Do you guys realize that we, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, what family are we adopted into? The body of Christ, into God's family. And so family, obviously, is a very important thing to our Father. I mean, when we, we, we are become family with Him when we call upon Him. The body of Christ is called the family. And so question is, we're talking about family. You're like, uh-huh, I'm dysfunctional. Uh-huh, we messed up. Uh-huh, well, I'm good, but they messed up. So what do I do about it? So that's what we're going to talk about a little bit this morning, is how can we be successful in every aspect of family? And really, what was interesting about this as I was working on it was that this really tied back so closely into the last sermon series, your greatest power, which was what? Choice. Choice. And the, the key verse there, which I, if nobody's noticing your notes in, in your service guide, you have notes there with fill in the blanks, but you should have in there uh, Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. And that was the key verse for the last sermon series. I will call uh, heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. And that last part kind of got me, that both you and your descendants may live. That's talking about family. And so a few things here. Uh, that we want to give you a few points you'll find in your sermon notes. Number one, wherever you find yourself and your family today, it is a result of choices. We, we don't like to admit that sometimes, but it is true. It is our choices that have brought us to the place that we are today. So we're going to hit a couple areas here. Let's talk about relationships for a moment. Um, think about your closest relationships that you have, whether it be friends, family members, your spouse. Um, do your relationships with those that you invest time in bring you closer to God? Do they encourage you to make godly decisions? Will they tell you the truth even if they know 
you really don't want to hear it? Or do you surround yourself with people who take on your offenses, who encourage your ungodly responses, and will carry your little garbage with them and, oh, yeah, honey, you're right. You don't need to be with him. He treated you so bad. Okay? When you have these relationships, are you choosing those people that are Christ-like, that are going to speak the truth to you? You know, over the years, I've had many friends that have come up to me, and um, they preface the conversation with this. They'll say, Shauna, I'm coming to you because I know you're going to shoot it straight and tell me what you really think, even if I don't want to hear it. And so, you know, do you have those people in your life that, first, do you have them in your life? And then second, are you willing to ask the hard question? (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) I mean, I know there's been times in my life where it's like, I kind of know, and so I don't want to ask the question because then I'll be accountable to have to change and to do something different. And so talking about relationships, you know, the first thing, wherever you're at today, the relationships you have, are you surrounding yourself with people that are going to draw you to the heart of the Father and to what the Word of the God says? Are you surrounding yourself with people that are of the world and are giving the world's answers to your situations that are going on? And then the next thing that we're going to look at is um, marriage. We got any married people in here? Got any people that want to be married someday? Yeah, we got some of the, yeah, the backpacks, the whole sound booth is like, yes! Well, not, okay, Josh wasn't, but the other side was. Um, You know, so let me ask you this. You know, I've known people over the years that have been married for, you know, 15, 20 years, and then, you know, their kids graduate from school, and then they get a divorce. And you talk to them, and they're, you know, you look at them, and they're like, well, we never really had a good marriage, but, you know, I kind of thought that they were just good with the way that things are. And and so um, I knew it wasn't really in a good place, but I just kind of chose to ignore it because, you know, sometimes it's easier to just go with the flow than to um, confront situations or to communicate. I know Rob and I watched a um, video series recently, um, actually it was with our small group that we do, and something that one of the um, pastors said is he goes, in marriage you've got to risk those awkward moments in order to grow. You've got to risk positioning yourself, having a conversation that you know may not go the way that you like to reap benefits that's going to grow and enhance and enrich your marriage. And so within marriage, you know, um, do you make it a priority? Or do your kids come first? Or do your girlfriends come first? Or do, does work come first? Is your marriage a priority? Um, and I know this one kind of sets out to some of y'all, but do you put your spouse before your children? It's very important that you two are in agreement so that then your children can fall in line with it. But so many times, we as moms, we get these kids and they become our life. And it's like, they're my life, they're my life, they're my life. And then this person just becomes another figure that maybe sleeps in the same bed with us, (laughs) but that they're not engaged and we're not together. So we're talking about choices and relationships, marriages, also, you know, the the choices we make, you know, for our children. And, you know, most of you know that, you know, there was divorce in our family when I was real young. And, um, you know, that's that's really tough. There's been several people I've told even, you know, over the, the last year or so in counseling who were talking about divorce. And I've just encouraged them and said, look, your kids are already at a disadvantage in our society today. Over 50% of people are divorcing. And statistics say that that, those statistics more than double when the parents divorce as well. Think about your children first and foremost. But there was divorce in my family, you know, when when I was young. And my dad came to Christ and, and, um, and married, you know, Ellen, my mom, and 
And I guess they recognized that and they, they went after, they, they realized where, what they had done. They, they changed their ways and they sought after the Lord with all their hearts. And they decided they weren't going to let me become one of those statistics. And so they worked, they, and, and trust me, they had to work extra hard to model a godly family and a godly relationship. And, and, you know, and I, I learned through it and decided I, I'm never going to put my kids through that. I, I'm never going to say that word in my house because I've got I've to think, think of my children. They, but my parents refused to see me make the same mistake. But the question is, you know, are we raising our children in the ways of the Lord? They're already, they've already got it harder than we did. They're already at a disadvantage. And it's so vitally important that we model the ways of the Lord for them. I mean, the Bible says if we train, up and, train them up in the way they should go, they will not depart from it. And so, you want to? Yeah, and so, you know, also when we're talking about family, actually go ahead and throw this um, cartoon picture up here. All right, we got right here, number you may have one. Seen that on Facebook. You know, oh, you're so funny because of inappropriate word the child's saying. Oh, look at her popping her booty. Anybody ever done that? Um, look what I got you, short shorts. And then you look at the last one. Where did I go wrong? Okay, just looking at that, that's choices that you made as a parent that often does dictate the results that you're going to get in your children. And so, you know, sometimes we think, oh, that's so cute. Well, the reality is it's not cute. It's not cute for them to be inappropriate. Yes. And so we as parents, you know, what choices are we making with our children? You know, often, um, actually recently, we had a couple come to us, and they've got a small um, child, about three or four, and they're like, oh, my goodness, I just don't know what to do, her mouth and her attitude, and she's doing this, and oh, what do we do? You know, and here's the first thing. When you don't know what to do, ask somebody that you've seen go through it, walk through it, experience it, or that you see a family that's been successful, hey, can you help me in this area? You know, don't try to do it by yourself. There are plenty of people here that want to walk life with you and want to help you succeed. And so as we were talking to that family, like, well, you know, where is she modeling it? What are we seeing? What are the consequences for those um, actions and behaviors? And so as we are looking briefly at children there, it's, it's based on choices, how we parent, how we choose to respond to things, chooses how they behave. So many behave. parents today want to be a friend their kid, and you just cannot be a friend to your child. You can try and make it happen. I've hardly ever seen it work. Um, next thing is, we're talking about choices. Uh, where we are today is a result of our choices. Next is finances. Now, that's a touchy subject in church. We don't like finances being talked about too much, so I won't say it too many times. Finances, no, finances, 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 finances. But finances. you realize that, I don't know if any of you ever read the book, uh, The Millionaire Next Door. You, you look at the studies done on people who have done really well financially in their life. You know, most people did not inherit lots of money. Most people are not trust fund babies that have money. Most people work their rear ends off for what they have. And most people who have wealth, they learned how to live within their means. They learned not to spend more than they bring in, right? That's not our society today. Our society doesn't push that. We, anybody can get credit. When I was a student at Christ for the Nations, I worked for a credit card company for a little while. I had to get out of there, but we were pushing credit cards to college students. And it was crazy. I'm going, man, they don't know how in the world. I didn't know how in the world to handle a credit card, and I was trying to get people to take them. And, and I'm not saying that credit cards are a bad thing. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that, that where we are financially is almost always a result of the choices that we've made in our lives. Um, if you can't afford 
that cable TV or maybe even that smartphone or whatever it may be after paying your bills at the end of the month, maybe we need to get rid of those things for a while. And I've kind of learned that by, because, you know, y'all know, we help so many people in the church every month with, with finances, and, and we, we've helped so many of you guys when, you know, you were just having trouble keeping the, the, the electricity on and, and different things. And, and we, we've been through a rough time financially, you know, as a nation, and, and a lot of you have lost jobs and different things like that, and, and that's part of what we're here for. However, there's always folks that come month after month that can't pay their bills but their 8- and 10-year-olds have smartphones, and they're wearing $100 tennis shoes, and they've got the premium satellite TV package. And you're going, what do we have to do to make right decisions here? We can't always have what we want. Sometimes we've got to put away. Dave Ramsey's the one that said, live like no one else today so you can live like no one else tomorrow, saying you may have to sacrifice today. You may have to do without things. You might have to make hard decisions today so that you can be more free in the future and have what nobody else has in the future because you worked hard for it. There was uh, last Saturday, a week ago yesterday, and some of y'all may have seen the pictures on Facebook. We were paddle boarding or trying into the wind <laughs> in, in the Dominican Republic. And we had this, this, this kid who was a 11, 11th grader who was, uh, who was out with us, this Dominican kid, and he, he was awesome. But, but he truly has made such great decisions. His family was from Haiti, and he made the decision to come to the Dominican Republic and come to school. And most people, the, the average education is eighth grade, and he was an 11th. And he was determined that he was going to go to college. And we're just sitting there talking to him. We got out to this little area they well, call We started pool. the question, you know, we got to start questions, right? So do you have a girlfriend? You know, we got to be light conversation there. And he's like, oh, no, I don't have time for that. And it kind of made you go, hmm, this kid might have his head on straight. <laughs> and that's when we just started asking these questions. And, and he, he was in 11th grade. And, and, he's, and he's working all day, full time, and then going to school Every at night. Every night from 6 to 9. And... It just hit me, and he, I said, what do you want to do? And he goes, well, I want to get out of this place. <laughs> he said, you know, there's not many opportunities here, and they always try and cheat you. And, and he said, I, I would love to go to the U.S. or Canada. And I said, to do what? And he goes, I, I want to go to, he said, I want to go to university. And yeah, I, he said, I like helping people. Yeah, that's what he said. I want to be and a he doctor. Said, I, I wanna, he said, I'd like to be a doctor. And he said, but. I said, what? And he, he said, well, maybe in the medical profession. He goes, that would take a lot of years. And I, I said, yeah. He goes, I, I can be a, a, a nurse or a, I forgot what he said, you know, in, in four years and, or five years or something. And I said, man, you can be a doctor. I said, do it. He goes, that'll take like nine years. I said, man, do it. Talk about living like nobody else. Go after it. Sacrifice today. Make the hard choices. Do the hard work now. And, and, but our finances, where we are financially is about choice. And, you know, it just amazes me, people who go back to school. I, you know, even I, some of you know, even, even Melody. Melody, it got me that she, with three kids, she went back to school. And that has been such a hard thing for her, going back to school and realizing as a single parent, she's got to provide for her family. There's nothing I respect more than a single parent that realizes they're not making ends meet. And instead of Instead of, you know, depending on everybody else, they go, you know what, I'm going to make this happen. Realizing there's all kind of grants and loans out there, especially for single parents. And they go after it and they make it happen. We've got to make decisions, sometimes hard decisions. Thank you for showing me the time. Go ahead. Yes. I can't pop up a text like you do for your dad, so I'll just show you I the do. Clock. I send him text during service. <laughs> the next one that we want to look at is, you know, spiritually. You know, have you ever heard someone say, well, I'm not getting fed the word, or I'm just not hearing from God? My question is, in response to that, is are you studying and are you reading God's Word? 
are you daily praying? Because God is always speaking. God is in all things, and he is always speaking. The thing is, is that we must discipline ourselves. We must deny our flesh, and we must just do it. You know, just this week, I was having my quiet time one morning, and, you know, so I started with my worship music, and then I was praying, and then I was trying to read, and my mind just kept going different directions. And I was like, no, my flesh is not going to win, you know, and so I continued to read through that. But it had been so easy to be like, well, obviously, it's just not happening today, and, you know, move on to what has to be done, but it takes decisions to get that discipline within our life. Well, it's, that's the number one thing I hear from people when they, they leave the church or leave their church. They'll say, well, I'm just not growing spiritually. The fact of the matter is we live in a society that doesn't want to take accountability for anything. And guys, it is not even biblical that it's the church's responsibility for you to grow spiritually. We have the responsibility ourselves to grow spiritually. It's the church's responsibility to help guide and lead the way. But it's our job to grow spiritually. And so we've got to begin to take responsibility for that. So you'll see that anyone who is growing in their relationship with the Lord will say they have a daily prayer time in relationship with him. So wherever you find yourself today, it is a result of choices. Now understand that life happens. It just does. Things happen that are absolutely beyond our control, that are not a result of a choice. But we still have a decision when that happens and what we're going to choose to do, how we're going to choose to respond. It was Chuck Swindoll that said life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we respond to it. It amazes me, you know, people that, that grew up in the most terrible situations, abusive, terrible, terrible poverty, terrible, all these different things that made decisions and went on to do great things with their lives. And we can absolutely do it. So things do happen beyond our control, but we still ultimately have to make, we still have the power to choose. Secondly, number two, choices that lead to life are always found in God's word. And that's what we saw in, in, in Deuteronomy 29, or I'm sorry, 30. Life is found in God's word, but reading God's word, we got to realize is not enough. Y'all do know that the devil knows the word of God from beginning to end. It does him no good. <laughs> Knowing God's word is not enough, we absolutely have to act on it. If, if we don't act on it, all we do is read it, then it's nothing more than words printed in ink on paper. Uh, in there in Deuteronomy 30, 19, he says, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life. So he has set before us that ability to choose. He set those choices before us, and he gave us the word of God so that we would have that life to choose. And as dad always says, if you can't choose which one, heads up, guess what the right choice is? It's life. <laughs> choose life. It's found in God's word. He leaves it up to us to make choices. So talking about choices, this week I was reading in John, and how many, who can tell me what was the first miracle created or done by Jesus? Turning water into wine. So let's read this passage right here. It says, three days later, there was a wedding in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples were guests also. When they started running low on wine at the wedding banquet, Jesus' mother told him, they're just about, to, they're just about out of wine. Jesus said, is that any of our business, mother, yours or mine? This isn't my time. Don't push me. She went ahead anyway. Don't you love those mothers? Telling the servants, whatever he tells you, do it. Six stoneware water pots were there, used by the Jews for ritual washing. Each held 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus ordered the servants, fill the pots with water. They filled them to the brim. Now fill your pitchers and take them to the host. Jesus said, and they did. When the host tasted the water that he... That had come, that 
had become wine. He didn't know what had just happened, but the servants, of course, knew. He called out to the bridegroom, everybody I know begins with their finest wines, and after the guests have had their fill, bring in the cheap stuff. But you have saved the best till now. This act in Cana of Galilee was the first sign that Jesus gave, the first glimpse of his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum along with his mother, brother, and disciples and stayed several days. And so as I was looking at that this week and reading that, this was his first miracle. Now, how many of you have ever believed for a miracle? And here was your expectation. You wanted this little zap to come down from heaven and poof, problem fixed, right? When we are believing for a miracle, we're just thinking poof, all better. His first miracle right here, he told them, go fill up the water jars. Okay, 20 to 30 gallons, six of them. That's a lot of honking, stinking water. Well, and it's water that people have been washing their feet in. (laughs) Yeah, the basin for, yes. And so they had to do something. They had to obey, and it took work, and it was not easy. So yes, they do that. Okay, Jesus, here's all your basins. And then what does he do? Okay, fill up your pitchers and go walk it to the master of ceremonies and give it to him. Now, I don't believe that when they took that scoop out, I think that was still water probably in that picture. So here they are as servants going, okay, I am going to go and I'm going to take this to somebody and I could lose my job, I could be meat beaten, I could be mocked, I could be made fun of. But what? They did it, right? They took that step of faith and they went and did it and then they got praised for saving the best for last. And so oftentimes I believe that we are praying and believing God to do a miracle in our life, we are expecting him to just fix it. We're expecting that, zip, zip, all better, it's made perfect. But I believe he has often given us the answer. He has given us the means, but we have to take action. We have to take the step of faith. We have to obey. We have to choose to do it. We have to choose it even when it's difficult, even when it's gonna take work. It will take faith, but the result, just like that wine, will be good. <laughs> Thank you, Lori. <laughs> Let me say this. As I, well, I said this a few minutes ago, we, we do live in a culture that doesn't like to take responsibility for anything. True? Well, except for good stuff. <laughs> I did that. <laughs> but we live in a culture that doesn't want to take responsibility. And, and the Bible tells us we are absolutely, we're responsible for ourselves, responsible for our families. The Bible goes as far as to say we are responsible for our future descendants. And, you know, we're obviously responsible for them in the way we raise their children because they're going to raise their children the same way. You know, the Bible also says that we're to leave an inheritance to our children and our children's children. We are very responsible for our families. The Bible um, uh, does command us to leave an inheritance to our children. Oh, uh, we, and we like to blame... I was talking about this this morning with, in the prayer room. We like to blame the devil for our situation and where we're at. And we've got to understand there is a devil out there that wants to kill, steal, and destroy, but he is ultimately not responsible. We are responsible. You ask people how they're doing, well, that devil. Well, the devil's not the one responsible. We're responsible. The devil is a defeated foe, so we take authority over him and we make godly decisions. He cannot keep us from making godly decisions. It's still ultimately left up to us. Y'all remember years ago, the preacher on TV in the 80s who got caught in sin, and he was on the news saying, the devil made me do it. Oh, man, geez, seriously? 
It's still choice. We are still responsible for ourselves. And I had this picture. That's what I was telling him the prayer this morning. I had this picture. We, we picture the devil as a, this big beast, you know, with horns and fangs and all this. And I just saw this picture of the devil as the little chihuahua in the corner, you know. He's yapping, 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 and lying at us, trying to distract us and get our attention and, and, and get our attention off of God. But that's who he is. And we picture him as this big thing, but he's a defeated foe over yapping in the corner. And I actually got that, and y'all are going to love this, from Mr. Mike binding the traps of the enemy this morning. And I said, you know, the traps the enemy lays for us, that little chihuahua comes over and lays a little bit of mess in front of us while we're walking. And then we step in it, and we get ticked off. And it distracts us from what we're supposed to do. We've got to remember who he is and who we are. Who we are because of who he is and who he called us. The devil is a defeated foe, and he is not responsible for us. So we've got to man up, and we've got to make godly decisions and tell him where to go. Amen? I want to say one thing real fast also about miracles. God can do a miracle in an instant. Okay, I don't want you guys to think that God can't just instantly bring healing. He can't instantly let there be breakthrough because he can and he does and he does work that way. However, oftentimes our answer is right in front of us, but it, we have to respond upon that. So I don't want anybody thinking, oh, miracles don't happen. They definitely happen. We see it happen every day. But we have to take that step of faith when he has put it right uh, And we can't get, fall into the mindset of our culture that always wants a quick fix. They want everything. They want it right here, right now, this way. And, you know, and, and it filters over into the church. And the church, many people come into church and they think, well, if I can just get somebody to lay hands on me. Well, that's awesome. And sometimes we need that. But... Don't fall into the trap of thinking you don't have to walk this thing out. Anybody who works in the freedom ministry will tell you, you still got to stay on guard. People will come and, and, man, they can cast things out of you, but you still got to stay on guard because the enemy's going to come back stronger than ever before. So you got to stay on guard and you've got to walk out that deliverance and that freedom that you experienced. It's not a quick fix. It's not something, bang, you're done. Woo, well, it's going, a, you know, same it's, thing we're talking about with our relationships and our finances and all those things. He can work in our life and, you know, we may work really hard on our marriage and it become great but then we start to neglect our finances and our children. And so then we have to refocus. We have to put the things right back in order to get the success that we need. And so that leads us into point number three. Point number three, and we have to say this. Point number three, no matter how much dysfunction you see in your family, God can breathe life into it through the choices you make from this point onward. There is hope. Because some of us would look at this and we would think, well, I've already blown it. You know what, my children, I, I, I was not the father. I was not the parent that I should have been. My kids are out in the world. I was not the husband or wife that I should have been, and my marriage ended like this. I did not handle my finances properly, and we're in a lot of trouble now. I, you know, all these different things. We can have all these different mindsets. But, you know, in, in verse 19 there, it said, Therefore, choose life that both you, both you and your descendants may live. And choose life, it's, it's not saying what you should have done. It's saying what you can do today. Choose life today. And actually, I looked up the word life. I just looked it up on a whim yesterday in the Hebrew. And it's, it's the word, it's C-H-A-Y-A-H from the Hebrew. And it's pronounced... Haya. 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 Had fun with that one. And it means, and it's that word live, that you and your descendants may live. And it means to live, to have life, to remain alive, to sustain life, to live prosperously, to live forever, to be quickened, to be alive, to be restored. I mean, it, that's it. How many of us want that? Of course we do. How many of us want it for our children? Well, it says here, choose life, and that's the condition that you and your descendants may have that kind of life. And so that's what I would say. We all want that kind of life. So make those decisions today. You know what? Maybe you look back and you have all these regrets. I wasn't the parent that I should have been. Be the parent today. 
Well, my, parent, my kid's in their 20s or 30s. or what, You know what? You may not have the same voice that you used to, could have had maybe at one time with them, but you can be that praying mama that can never be escaped. You can be the one that's always going to be there to show love and accept them right where they're at in a moment. And that, millions of praying mamas and daddies have brought kids back into the kingdom before. You can be that example to your family today. You can begin making good decisions today regardless of what was in the past. We've got to be ready for the long haul. Rarely are results immediate. True? Yep. Usually, sometimes, like she said, sometimes we see results immediately. Sometimes God does something in a moment. But, you know, usually we have to walk things out. And we have to believe God and we've got to stand on his word. So be ready for it. That's okay. But begin making those godly decisions today. And, and uh, I had a quote we saw yesterday. Adrian Rogers said, The same Jesus who turned water into wine can transform your home, your life, your family, and your future. He is still in the miracle working business, and his business is the business of transformation. That's Pastor Adrian Rogers. God can transform today, regardless of how bad decisions were made yesterday, last year, the year before. Godly decisions today can change everything. Amen? Amen. Do the video? We've got a, actually a video testimony that we want to show that talks about the importance of perseverance in prayer. Hi, my name is Maureen Leday, and um, I just wanted to give a quick testimony um, uh, for some people that might be praying um, for something, have been praying for something for quite some time and not quite getting the answer that they wanted. And um, for several years, I have been praying, my whole family has been praying for um, a niece that has been separated from her dad um, in a relationship that she had not wanted to even speak to him, um, said she hated him. I mean, it was horrible. And he had even tried to reach out to him, to her, and um, try to um, rekindle that relationship, but she wanted nothing to do with him. So um, this has been going on for quite some time, for several years. And during the fast this January, the um, Lord had really put it on my heart to um, keep praying for her and to soften her heart. So I'm like, okay, Lord, I'll, I'll do that. So I did that, and, and like right after um, the first or second week of Jan uh, February, um, my mother-in-law called me and said just out of the blue um, that she um, had actually called her dad and wanted a relationship with him. So it's just, it's so awesome. God is so awesome. We give him the glory. So I just, again, wanted to um, let everyone know that, you know, it's just not seeing the answers that they want, that God, our God is faithful, faithful um, to answer our prayers. Thank you. And all of us have probably been there at some point. We had a family member we were praying for, believing for, standing for, whatever, and time goes by and maybe years, and, and we kind of forget and we let it go, and we can't do that. We've got to make the decision to stand in there and stand on God's Word and believe that it's true and believe that God is always faithful to His promises, always, regardless of what we see with our natural eye. Amen? Let's bow our heads for just a moment. As we conclude, first and foremost, it is almost impossible, it, it is impossible to make godly decisions without Jesus being the Lord and Savior of our lives. That's where it all comes from. There may be people out there that, that make good decisions in life, but they're all based on God's Word regardless of whether they know it or not. If you want to make godly decisions in your life, first and foremost, He's got to be number one. And so if you're here today, 
and you recognize the fact that Jesus isn't first in my life. Maybe you've never asked him to be Lord. Maybe you've never made him master of your life. Or maybe you have, but life has happened, trials and tribulations have come, he's kind of slipped down the priority pole there, and you find yourself in a place where you, you've never felt more distant from God than ever before. Trust me, he hasn't gone anywhere. But sometimes we can have a tendency to drift away. With every head bowed, I, we're not going to call anybody up or embarrass anybody. But this is your first step. God loves you so much. Many of us know what it's like to have a child. Imagine our God who gave up his son for you. He loved you so much that he gave his son so that you could live and have a relationship with him. That's you and you recognize you're not in right standing with him today. It's the most important choice you can make. You want to make good choices? It starts here. That's you and you say, you know what? I've got to get things right with the Lord in my life today. Every head bowed, let me get you to lift your hand. Let me see so I can agree together with you. Who else? Oh, man. Anybody else? Four people have lifted their hand and said they got to get their life right with the Lord. Anybody else? We're going to pray a prayer together. And the Bible says if all you've got to do is pray it and mean it. Understand it's not as much about the words as it is your heart. If you pray these words and you mean it with all your heart, you confess Jesus and believe with your heart you will be saved. And we're going to ask everybody to pray together. If you do that, you will be saved. You're no longer a part of the family of the world. You're part of the family of God in that moment. The Bible says that he will graft you into his family. You will be his very own. Every head bowed, let's pray together. Dear God, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die in my place. I'm sorry for the way I've lived. I'm sorry for the bad decisions. I repent today and I ask you to forgive me. Jesus, I recognize that you paid the price for my sin. I believe that you died and you rose again and I thank you for it. I put my trust in you and I choose to follow you every day for the rest of my life. And this day forward, in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, fill me now. Empower me to do everything that God has called me to do. I love you and give you honor and praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. God, I thank you for every person here that made that decision. I pray, Lord, that their next decision will be that they won't keep it to themselves, but they'll grab somebody else alongside who can, who can help guide them and lead them and hold them accountable. God, I pray for every person here. We all have If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 
866-385-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. You are Lord, I'm a sinner.